Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Tuesday, the 25th of April, with me, Bernadette Anderko. On the show today, we'll get an update on the earnings season from our equity strategist, Leonardo Pellandini, and Manuel Villegas is here to tell us what's going on in the world of digital assets. But first, Roman Canciani, Head of Investment Writing, joins us to provide the highlights of what's been moving markets overnight. Good morning, Roman. Good morning, Bernadette. So, please tell us what has been driving the markets over the past hours. Well, this week provides plenty of drama, not only with regard to the earnings season, which is in full swing, but also with regard to a flurry of economic data from which market participants then try to derive the next steps of central banks in terms of monetary policy. That said, central bankers' communication is still pretty clear and straightforward. No matter whether you are an investor in US dollars or in euros, expect more rate hikes to come, they say. This is despite another set of data coming in yesterday in the US, which said that manufacturing activity has declined once again in April. These data set the sentiment of the day, sending US Treasury yields down, just like the overall stock market, at least in the beginning. In addition, markets are worried about the US debt ceiling debate, which is likely to linger on for some time. The longer it takes for politicians to agree on increasing the debt limit for the US, the more wobbles that could create across financial markets. So how did markets cope then yesterday? Well, fixed income markets were in the spotlight after disappointing manufacturing activity. Uh, 10-year US Treasury yields fell 8 basis points, while 2-year yields fell even more by 9 basis points. And the rally continued overnight, with the 10-year now at 3.46 and the 2-year at 4.07, the latter significantly below that 4.25 touched towards the end of last week. The picture in Europe is notably different, with all government bond yields up by about three basis points in the 10-year area, after the European Central Bank's executive board member Isabel Schnabel said yesterday that a half-point interest hike cannot be ruled out at the next meeting of the Central Bank on 4th of May. So how did the stock markets do then? Well, in the US, major stock markets clawed back some of the steep losses after a rough start to the trading uh, to basically close about break-even. The S&P 500 closed up a meager three points at 4,137 points, but at least with about 60% of its constituents handing in a positive performance. Outperformers were energy, materials and healthcare, while tech, real estate and financials were laggards yesterday. Oil steadied a bit after two days of gains. Gold is creeping slowly back towards the 2,000 US dollars per ounce threshold and Bitcoin remains in its current trading range, trading at $27,500. Okay, and uh, what are the news stories moving the markets this morning? Well, aside the flurry of earnings data coming in, there are two news which caught my eyes, both from the UK. The number of job seekers in the city of London increased by 12% year on year, while the number of available jobs decreased by 31%, as Bloomberg reports uh, citing a Morgan McKinley report this morning. That obviously comes on the heels of the banking turmoil and shows that times are not easy currently for bankers to find a new job amid economic uncertainties and the threat of redundancies. And the other news is that the UK government is set to announce a new legislation this morning, beefing up oversight on the big tech firms, allowing a new unit that calls Digital Markets Unit to rule potential fines of up to 10% of global sales for practices it believes hurt consumers. Sounds a bit scary. And the, the timing's interesting just before the big tech companies report their earnings in the second half of this week. Um, but, but what about Asia-Pacific markets now? Yeah, well... 
Australia and New Zealand enjoy a holiday today. Chinese shares are dragging down Asia's equities. Also there, sentiment has clouded somewhat and traders are pondering whether the China reopening narrative still leaves some upside despite economic and geopolitical headwinds. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index is down about 2% as we speak. And the CSI 300 Index, measuring the performance of Chinese onshore stocks, is down roughly 1%. Japanese Nikkei index, meanwhile, has just closed about even a few minutes ago. Okay, so that's what we've had so far. Um, what's in store for traders today? Well, yes, uh, European equities are set to open in the red, following in Asia's slipstream. Also, US futures are trading in the red currently. Of course, traders will assess all the incoming results. It will be interesting how investors react to UBS and Santander's numbers once stock exchanges open in about 45 minutes. Later today, we'll also have results from Spotify, and we're awaiting a bunch of US data also later on today. Uh, which will be scrutinized for clues on the next steps of the Federal Reserve. Watch out especially for the Philadelphia Fed non-manufacturing index, new home sales and the conference board's consumer confidence numbers. That's it from me. Thank you so much for the update, Roman. Well, we've heard that the US earnings season is in full swing. Indeed, I was uh, just looking at the numbers and 178 companies are due to report this week for the S&P 500 alone. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined now by Leonardo Pellandini from the Equity Strategy Team. Good morning, Leonardo. How does the reporting season look so far? Good morning, Bernadette. Well, with, with close to 20% of S&P 500 companies having reported results so far, more than three quarters have beaten expectations, getting off to a brighter start than analysts' expectations. And also price reactions are showing that the market was prepared for, for gloomy reporting. As of today, S&P 500 earnings are expected to decline on a year-over-year basis 6.4% for the first quarter. And uh, this would mark the largest earnings decline reported by the index since Q2 of 2020. This would also be the second straight quarter the index would report a decline in earnings. Of the 95 companies that have reported actual earnings for Q1, uh, as I said before, 75% have reported actual EPS above the mean EPS estimates. And also on aggregate levels, actual earnings reported by these 95 companies have exceeded estimated earnings by 5.3%. So at this early stage of the earnings season for Q1, both the number of companies reporting positive EPS surprises and also the magnitude of these EPS surprises are trending closer to their five-year uh, average. So uh, if we step back a bit, the macroeconomic environment in the first quarter of this year was actually shaped by two contrasting factors. Uh, on the one hand, economic data in the first two months of the year was generally better than expected, adding to inflation concerns. But on the other hand, the SVB bankruptcy in March completely clouded the outlook. So overall indicators are largely mixed during the quarter. What do you actually expect from this environment? Yes, yeah, so we expect an inline quarter for earnings, focusing primarily on guidance and on tighter credit conditions impacting capital expenditures and buybacks. Share repurchases seem most at risk, while CapEx is, is, is safer, as many companies are guiding above planned CapEx expectations following you know, the long decade of, of underinvestment. Regarding buybacks, following 10 years of, of low rates incentivizing companies to buy back their shares, we now see a more challenging environment ahead. So Q1 EPS for the S&P 500 has been revised down by 6%. And although 
we actually saw that for H2 EPS, this saw just marginal revisions. So despite the big downward revision, 2023 consensus still looks optimistic at $217.6 EPS for the index. And we know that credit conditions are likely to tighten. Credit standards have led S&P 500 sales growth by about two quarters. So this is suggesting also further deceleration in sales growth. Um, and while many companies announced cost-cutting programs, it is still difficult to maintain margins in a weakening demand environment. Operating leverage is now reverting with costs growing faster than sales over the past two quarters. And this is a typical driver of earnings downturn. It usually begins with sales slowing and margins getting squeezed as companies can't cut costs fast enough. So all in all, uh, this time around, we are less concerned of results for this earnings season, given the subdued expectations and also the strength of early reporters. So the focus of investors uh, generally remains on forward guidance, particularly on the impact of the recent tightening credit conditions. Thank you so much for your insights today, Leonardo. Uh, we'll look forward to a further earnings update from you or Mathieu next week. And now for something completely different, digital assets. Manuel Villegas is with me now from our Next Generation Research team. Good morning, Manuel. Good morning, Bernadette. Hope you're so, doing well. <laughs> major crypto prices have seen a correction recently. Um, what are the main reasons behind this? You know, the thing is that these past few days, we've seen that the recovery in the digital assets space is not a one-way street, right? Well, traders are taking profits because the year-to-date gains were for Bitcoin up to 85% last week, has gone down a bit to 65% the year-to-date rally. And with that, major cryptos have retraced from the recent highs. There are very few exceptions. And the, the, the main reason is that the death of the market correction, in fact, lies in the death of the market per se. Because some large orders on the largest centralized exchange, Binance, resulted in Bitcoin's price diving below $28,000 last week. As speculative traders and trend followers that anticipated a continuation of the recent rally were caught on the wrong foot. And the most important thing is that this happened in an environment where the blatant Bitcoin accumulation behavior and the fears of more restrictive centralized exchange regulation amidst the growth of other exchange avenues have drained the liquidity in centralized exchanges. So as we said a couple of weeks ago, there is no liquidity in centralized exchanges. The market depth is as shallow as it has been in, in a very long time period. And the order books are exposed. So investors should expect elevated volatility, at least in the short term. Um, right. Another aspect that we've witnessed recently is advances in both the US and European regulation taking center stage. Uh, could you explain a bit more about what's actually going on there? Actually, here we have on a brighter note that the already politicized lack of regulatory clarity on cryptos in the US is slowly but surely changing. So we have the US House of Financial Services last week addressing the ravaging actions of the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, because uh, the SEC has taken these very, very harsh measures against crypto-related institutions. And uh, the House of Financial Services actually highlighted the arbitrariness of most measures. 
and specifically address the fact that if innovation is not fostered within the US, it will very likely be driven overseas. So most important thing is actually that the chairman of the House of Financial Services, Mr. McHenry, which is actually from the Republican Party, addressed the SEC chairman, Gary Gensler. And Gensler actually refused to state whether or not Ether is a security or a commodity, despite the labeling of it as a security being the epicenter of his lawsuit series. In our view, it looks like digital assets have turned into a proxy war for US politics ahead of next year's presidential elections. Subsequently, the US House for Financial Services passed a bill on stablecoins, aiming to regulate the key characteristics of this and to make the assets more transparent, while also recommending a temporary ban on algorithmic stablecoins. And we have across the Atlantic that the European Union approved its landmark Markets in Crypto Assets, or MICA regulation, pioneering in crypto legislation and serving a potential model for U.S. lawmakers. Even though positive regulatory advances and technology upgrades highlight the fundamental value of the asset class, risky assets are still navigating murky waters. And for digital assets, top-down conditions have again proven to be in the driving seat. And back to you, Bernadette. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Um, well, that concludes today's podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please tune in again tomorrow when Lucia Chachilovic will be here to guide you through what's moving markets with our experts. Good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.